0: Welcome to Family Bible Hour, a broadcast of the Sunday morning worship services of North Florida Baptist Church in Tallahassee, Florida. Uh, thank you, Nicolette. That song was from the uh, Christian movie Facing the Giants, and uh, <clears throat> I'd like to tell you that she chose that uh, for the series, but she actually chose it, and somebody walked up and said, you know that's from Facing the Giants, and, uh <clears throat> but it was great, and thank you for that, and uh, I want to thank uh, all of the music ministry today, especially the band. If you've been paying attention, we have uh, a group of men in our church have uh, developed a, uh, a uh, praise and worship band, and they're just doing a, a great job. I don't know if you heard uh, Zach Masker this morning, but he was hitting a lick uh, on that uh, in fact, I just kind of wanted to, everybody to step back and let him go to town uh, a little bit on that last song. But maybe we'll do that sometime. I believe Zach's parents are here today. If not, there's two people walking around who look frighteningly like him. And uh, <clears throat> so um, uh, we, are, we are so thankful to have uh, your, your family in our church. First Samuel 17, we're going to look at verses 31 through 40. And today it's all about speaking up. It's time to say something. Speaking up, First Samuel 17, 31 through 40. When you speak up, you make a commitment. You are saying, this is the way that it's going to go down. This is what's going to happen. A student walked into a Walgreens with a picture of his new girlfriend. At the photography section, he asked for the picture to be duplicated. The girl working the photo section noticed the inscription on the back of the picture. Jason, I love you with all of my heart. I love you more and more each day. I will love you forever and ever. I am yours for all eternity. Signed, Ashley. Then there was this P.S. If we ever break up, I want this picture back. <clears throat> That's the level of some people's commitment, is it not? If we ever break up, I want this, uh, this picture back. Three weeks ago, Jan and I marked our 41st anniversary of marriage. It was the anniversary of the day that we stood at the altar at Eastland Baptist Church in Nashville, Tennessee, and we made promises to each other. We spoke them to one another, and we spoke them in front of a lot of people. There was no caveat asking for our things back should the promises we made not hold. We were at Jan's mom's house uh, on the morning of our anniversary. We had gone up there to see her, and it was around Labor Day. And sitting at the table, Jan's mom, who was 83 years old, looked at me and she said, did you ever think that you'd be married to Jan for 41 years? And it, it was almost a, one of those questions where she expected me to say, no, I, <clears throat> I never did. But here's what I told her. I said that I never thought about an end date, that when we got married, I never thought about the time that we would no longer be married, that we made a commitment at the altar, and that was all that I was thinking about. When Jan and I spoke up that evening before a sizable crowd, we crossed the point of no return. We made promises to be kept until one or both of us have left this life. And we take those promises very seriously. When you speak up regarding a commitment that you're making, usually that's the point of no return. Usually that's where you say, this is the way that it's going to be for me, for my family, whatever it might be. One author wrote this. Some people ask, who am I? And they expect the answer to come from their accomplishments. Other people ask, who am I? And expect the answer to come from what other people think about them. Those who dare to make and keep promises discover that they are by promises made, they are who they are by the promises made and kept to other people. There's something simple yet profound about speaking our intentions, about making a commitment to the the undertaking. As long as our intentions are private, they may be abandoned as long as our intentions are private, they may be postponed, they may be diluted. But once they're spoken or once they're written and signed, the wheels come off the runway and we are committed to fly with those promises that are made. In our text today, David commits to the face of or to face the giant. It was no longer a matter of somebody should do something It was a matter of David saying, I'll be the one to face this giant. I'll be the one to take care of this problem. I'll be the one, I'll make the commitment. And from the commitment that he made, we learn a lot about the commitments that we must make if we're ever going to face our giants. It's a rather lengthy portion we've been studying all through the book of, uh, or the chapter of 1 Samuel 17. And today is message number four. There's two more messages after this. And this is the message that many of you, or actually next week is a message that many of you have been waiting for, but this one is a pivotal point. Verse uh, 31 of 1 Samuel 17. When the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul, and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, you're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, and he's been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And When there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. Then Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. And David <clears throat> strapped his sword over his armor, and he tried in vain to go, for he had not tested them. And then David said to Saul, Saul, I cannot go with these, for I've not tested them. So David put them off. He took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand and and chose five smooth stones from the brook, put them in his shepherd's pouch, his sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. Point number one, committed to your task. Most obvious is that David was committed to this task of slaying the giant Goliath. The rest of the chapter will find him living up to the reputation he was setting for himself on this important day in the history of Israel and his own history. He has certainly seen that Israel drew the line and he stayed on Israel's line against the Philistines. He saw the face of the giant. He heard the giant. And today he makes the commitment, I will slay this giant. As in my illustration about marriage, David had come to the place of speaking his commitment. It wasn't in his heart that somebody ought to do something about this. It wasn't in his heart that somebody ought to say something. Somebody ought to fight the giant. It was in his heart to take on the giant. And so he said something about it. He didn't sneak up on Goliath. He said, I'm going to face off with this giant. And that face-to-face confrontation began with words of commitment. And this is actually a route to our facing our giants. Let me give you a couple of things from what David did here. First of all you should speak your commitment. If you read carefully you'll see that David asked a series of questions about battling the giant. He didn't lead with a commitment to face off with, the, with Goliath but a line of conversations led him to that commitment. He said I'm going to face off with this giant his first step to commitment was speaking up the words that we say have meaning beyond their definition if we say something the words that are spoken are clearly defined but the implication of the power behind the words may be much much greater Jesus had something interesting to say about the correlation between our hearts and the words that we speak In Luke chapter 6 and verse 45 Jesus said the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good and the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil for out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. In the course of this series we have maintained that everyone has a giant to face and if you don't have one today you're going to have one or you've had them in the past you're going to have more we face these giants on a regular basis. The giant may be a giant opportunity in life. It may be a giant issue in life. It could be a giant sin that has a grip on your life. It could be any number of things in any number of directions, but to you, it is an honest-to-goodness giant. It's bigger than you thought you would ever have to face. Now it's likely that our chances of whipping the giant are better if we let it be known that we are making a commitment that's been hiding somewhere in our hearts for a while. We have a better chance of whipping the giant if we say aloud I'm going to face this giant and tell people around us that we plan to face this giant. I'm not sure that you need to go to the microphone and tell everything about The church about every giant in your life and make an announcement that this is what you're going to do I'm not sure that you need to gather your whole circle of friends and say I haven't told you about this giant but I'm going to tell you now in some cases that might be appropriate but I will say this: whether you tell your circle of friends or family or or whoever somewhere along the way you need to speak your commitment to someone you need to say it I'm going to do this I want you to look for this change in my life. I want you to look for me to face this giant in my life. Now until you make it verbal, until you make a commitment, chances are you'll not make the sacrifices that you need to make in order to whip that giant. You'll not make the adjustments that you need to make in your life in order to defeat that giant. But when you verbalize it, when you say, this is what I'm going to do, this is what's going to happen, in and through my life this is what you can look for with me I am going to graduate from college I am going to whip this issue in my life whatever it might be that you're going to face when you verbalize it that is the beginning of it so when you're committed to your task you should first of all speak your commitment I'm telling you something that many of you are afraid to do You're afraid to tell somebody that you're going to whip this giant in your life because then there's a certain amount of accountability. There's a certain amount of follow-through. Secondly, stand by your commitment. You speak it, and then you stand by it. Into our text again, when the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul, and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him, your servant will go and fight with the Philistine. Now with these words, <clears throat> David signed on the dotted line. He said, I know what you've heard about me, and I'm here to tell you that it's true. Now, king, I'm going to go and I'm going to fight this Philistine. The king had sent for David, and David knew why. There is no turning back for him for the good of the nation for the glory of God for the sake of God's people and for David's own sake he said I am going to face the giant don't think that you have no one in Israel to face this giant I will face him this is where we uh, this is where we come to understand our giants more often than not the giants that we face have an effect on someone or on a a whole group of people David knew that his giant affected more than himself this giant was affecting all of Israel and your giant is too your giant is affecting more than just you don't think for a moment it's just affecting you well I'm keeping this big secret but it's only affecting me no it's affecting somebody else And eventually, if it's not faced and dealt with, it will have a greater adverse effect than you originally intended for it to have. When you commit yourself to face off with a giant and let others in who will benefit by your stand, then the fight is on. Then you're ready to tackle the giant. But as long as you wander around with your hands in your pockets, or drive around just thinking about it, then you can go any number of ways. But there comes a a point where when you speak it, you must stand with it. If it's a secret, it probably, probably will never get defeated. But when you speak it, when you say it, when you admit it, This is something that I want to do with my life. This is something that I have to do with my life. When you face that giant, and then when you say it aloud, there will be a sense of great trepidation, but there will also be a sense of commitment and peace. Here's what the Apostle Paul said in Philippians 4.13. I can do all things. Through him who strengthens me now here's what Paul is saying I have a matter number of things that I know that I can do but I want you to know that through Jesus Christ I can do all things if we couldn't stretch beyond what we've already done then we'd all be in diapers and not even trained But we begin immediately when the child is born stretching their ability and teaching them more and developing them more and more and more. And we we broaden them and we say, You can do this. This is this is something that you can do. And those children become teenagers and the teenagers become adults, and adults become married adults, and married adults become middle aged married adults, and somewhere along the way some adults say, Well, I can't face any more giants. Though they came so far, they can't go any further. They're just not standing by their commitments. That they can, look, we can face our giants all the way to the last day of our lives. Since I've been the pastor of this church, in February it will be 22 years. Can you believe that? In February it will be 22 years. Since I've been the pastor of this church, here's what I've been watching. I've been watching people get married. I've been watching people have babies. I've been watching children. Children that I saw saw young people in the senior girl presentation this week at North Florida Christian School that I remember seeing the day they were born. And they continue to face new challenges. It's been going on for all of this time. And I don't know that there's an expiration date on it. I'm looking at so many of you who have accomplished so much in your life. But there's still a new giant to face. There's still a giant opportunity. There's still a giant need. There may still be a giant problem. There's still a giant to your face, but you, to, to, to face, but you've got to commit yourself to the task. And in order to commit yourself to the task, You need to speak that commitment and then stand by the commitment that you've spoken. With the confidence we have in Christ, there's something to be said for our history, but it should also be understood that beyond our history, we can go into our future with the strength of Christ. David had never slain a giant before, but he had seen God do a lot of wonderful things in the course of his life. And in addition to being committed to his, his, uh, to his task, he was committed to his history. He believed that the same God that had helped him before was going to help him again. He was confident in his history. Look at verse 33. And Saul said to David, you're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you're but a youth. And he has been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered him, delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by the beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears. This uncircumcised Philistine Shall be like one of them, for he has defiled the armies of the living God. He said, "Now, Saul, <clears throat> I understand that you're questioning my commitment. Now my faith is in God, and I'm going to stretch what I've been able to do. but just for your peace of mind, let me sh- tell you what's already happened. And <clears throat> he tells the story about the lion and the bear and how he had, how he had defeated them. David has some realities in his life three realities in fact on this day that he committed to face the giant the first is a reality that causes many people to turn back and or at least to remain stuck in their tracks and never face their giant they settle for life without victory that God wants to give them because they will not deal with this here's what it is the reality of doubt that's a for real reality than facing our giants as much as Saul wanted to slay the giant and save Israel he was quite certain that David was not the man for the job sometimes our doubt is self-doubt sometimes the doubt is the doubt of others here's what he said you're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him you're but a youth he's been a man of war from his youth now let me just say this most of us would have second thoughts if the king said you're going to get killed if the king of the general who is leading the battle said you are going to lose your life don't do this do not do this we just say well okay okay you don't think I can do it, I don't guess I can. Saul seriously doubted David's ability. This was not theater. This was real. And Saul said, you can't do this. Now let me help you with something. There's always, and I mean always, someone who's willing to doubt you. Always. Don't ever think that you're going to make a commitment to something without somebody willing to doubt you. Among the disciples, there was one named Thomas who actually doubted the veracity of the resurrection. He doubted Jesus. In your circle, it may be someone close or it may be a casual acquaintance, but often the slightest doubt is enough to take our feet from us. The slightest doubt is enough to cause us to, to uh, not perform well. Sometimes, when you're doing something as silly and simple as playing golf, you step up to the tee, and there's this beautiful fairway in front of you, and somebody will say, "Now you don't want to be to the right, <clears throat> because if you're at the right, you have to deal with that tree." It's a long way home from over there. You don't want to be to the right. You know where you hit it? <clears throat> to the right. He say, well, I don't. Well, then you don't play golf. <clears throat> people can really put some doubts in your mind. Here's what James said. But let him ask, <clears throat> that is people who... who uh, uh, has quest- have questions about life and and so on <laughs> but let him ask in faith with no doubting for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind you're going to have someone to to doubt but nothing on the scale of the one who doubted David's commitment this was serious stuff so I would ask you to face the reality of of doubt people around you are going to doubt you when you Speak your commitment. And you say, all right, I'm going to say it. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to speak the commitment. Somebody's going to say, oh, that's a mistake. You might say it yourself. You might say it to yourself. Here's the second thing, the reality of, of deeds. Even when you face doubt, there are the deeds that you can draw upon. David goes on to tell the king all that had happened to him while doing some very simple things like tending sheep. In this case, it was a a lion and a bear, both of which had come to attack the sheep, and and David would have none of it. He said, "I'm not going to have that." And so this is what happened to those two. S- sometimes our giant is so daunting that it hides our view of all that has happened in our lives. All that's happened. I have owned more than one conversation had more than one conversation with someone who was ready to commit to failure because the giant came in and filled up the room and they could not see all of the successes that they had had i had someone tell me not too long ago i feel like such a failure You ever said that? You ever thought it? And the reason they said it was because there was something that had happened in their lives that that was a giant. And for all practical purposes, it looked like it was going to be a failure. You know what I said to them? I said, well, that's not the way I see you. And I said, here's the way that I see you. And I began to list all of the wonderful things that this person had done and that God had done for this person. That's the way that I see you. Seeing from a a different perspective sometimes will help us to realize that that giant, that you have a history of facing giants like this. It's just that giant is so big in the room right now, you can't think about it. All of us have a, a storehouse of, of deeds, of things, an inventory of, of the positives from our lives. This is not so that we can rest on our laurels. This is to build a platform so that we can see clearly how to face the next giant. God didn't give you all of the successes in your life, all the failures in your life. For them to lay around you in some sort of a meaningless heap. These issues are there to give us the platform to stand and face the very next thing. The challenge ahead may not be exactly like the challenges of the past, but every success builds into your resume a sense of confidence that you can be successful against the next giant in your life. Draw on that. Don't face it without the understanding that I really could be successful in this next area. David faced some, some realities in, in the course of gaining a confidence in his history. He faced the reality of doubt, that is, that Saul doubted him. He faced the reality of deeds, that is, the things that he had already done. Then the reality of, of a decision. Verse 36, your servant... Has struck down both lions and bears, and his uncircum this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And this is where David's going to stand. He's not going to hesitate. I'm going to do this. He had spoken up, and it was now time for action. He was committed to the task. He was confident in his history. And now he would go to battle. He would face this giant but how would he go about the task how does he do this how am I going to face this big guy well that comes to the third thing in this matter of having confidence and being committed he was convinced of his equipping something interesting happens in verse 37 It may not seem all that big a deal to you, but it's a pretty big deal. 37, David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion, from the paw of the bear, will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. Then Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a helmet of bronze on his head. Now, this was Saul's helmet he put on David. And he clothed him with a coat of mail. Now, this was the coat of mail of Saul that he put on David. And David strapped his, that is, the king's sword, over his armor. And he tried in vain to go. <laughs> oh, man. He just couldn't do it. He just could not do it. And so David realized, he said, I, I've not tested these. David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I've not tested them. So David put them off. He went back down to his shepherd's outfit. Then he took his staff in his hand and he chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch and his sling was in his hand and he approached the Philistine. Now here's three levels of David being convinced that he was ready to face the giant. These are three levels you should listen to very carefully. First of all, David had a convincing faith. David believed that God who had delivered him in the past would do it again. He stepped from the pages of the past into the confidence of the future. That's what a walk in faith is all about. The walk in faith is all about stepping out of our comfort zone and into the future. Remember this from Hebrews 11.1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The conviction of things not seen. Usually... The giants we face are familiar, but to take them on in battle is a step of faith. We must be convinced that the God who saved us from sin can deliver us from evil or enable us to reach some new level in our lives. We have to be convinced of our faith. I mean, is God for you or not? is God with you or not? Are you doing God's will and does God want you to accomplish his will or not? The the way that you face your giants is to be convinced of your faith. Absolutely convinced of your faith. Here's the second thing. This is interesting. We've kind of touched on it already. A convincing familiarity. Saul tried to equip David with his armor the sword the helmet coat of mail and so forth but it was just too much for David David had to be who God made him to be David couldn't be anybody else he had to be who God made him to be he knew how God had used him in the past and was convinced that God would use his equipping from the past To meet the challenge of his future but he knew that if he tried to become somebody else he would not be able to face the giant now this is one of the the biggest issues that people face is they try to become somebody else in order to face the giant while walking in faith we have to understand that God has given us life experiences to equip us for future challenges in ministry. I've, <clears throat> I think I've given you this before. If not, it's coming up in a message either on Sunday or morning or Sunday night or Wednesday night. <clears throat> the number one fear of all people, the number one fear uh, among all people is the fear of public speaking. Did y'all know that? <clears throat> That's the number one fear. If, if I were to ask some of you, I wouldn't do it, so don't, you know, don't leave the church. Uh, <clears throat> but if I were to ask one of you, I'd like for you to come up right now and just speak for about five minutes on what you've heard today. Oh, my goodness. You may know exactly what you've heard, but you wouldn't want to speak. I, on the other hand, speak all the time. And, and quite honestly, <clears throat> God equipped me for this all the way back to when I was a kid do you know what the deportment grades were on my de- report card we used to have deportment grades where they would check if there was a need in the the kid you know needs more study this that and the other <clears throat> the deportment grade that I always had a check needs improvement on was seeks undue attention I was public speaking before I had a public. God just prepared me for that. He just, you know, I, I was the ham. I was the clown. I was the one that said it first and got in the most trouble for it. That was me. But that was my frame of reference. Look, you're, you're familiar with all of your past successes and all of your past failures and from your successes and failures build your frame of reference by which you can face your giants not every great decision is based on every great success you've had it could be based on a great failure that you've had you've learned that this is the way that it's not supposed to happen this is the way that it's not supposed to be done if I only ministered from my successes, then we would have sermons with very little content. Some of you may feel like those are the kind of sermons we have anyway. I hope not. <clears throat> but if I only ministered from my successes, I couldn't give you very much. But I can speak on and on and on if you'll allow me <clears throat> to stand on my failures. Because I've got plenty of them. Now, granted. David had taken the sling and he had killed a bear and he had killed uh, the lion. You say, well, then he's just had successes. Do you know how many squirrels he missed? Do you know how many groundhogs he couldn't get? Do you know how many times that he went to sleep and something came in and did cause trouble? He learned to be a success based on successes and failures. Please, if there's anybody sitting in this room who says, I'm just a failure and my life is just a failure, please understand something. You are just building a platform for a success to face a giant that's going to be in front of you. It is up to you as to whether or not You stand on that platform, convincing, uh, convinced of your faith in God, and convinced of your history. It's up to you. I used to be in sales. My degree in, in college is in marketing. I'm listen. I I can sell. When I was in sales, I could sell a rabbi a rosary. I can sell. You know what I learned about sales? I learned that there is a series of continual and consistent rejections. And each continual and consistent rejection is getting you one door closer to a tremendous opportunity where somebody's going to say, yes, you're just what I've been looking for. Some company ought to pay me to come give this speech to them. <clears throat> God has given each of us familiarity, and he expects us to use that familiarity in facing our giant. Not only was he convinced of his faith, and he was convinced of his familiarity, those, that frame of reference, but he was convinced of, of the future. Interesting that David took five stones to face the giant. You really think he would have had time to reload? <laughs> Oops, wait a minute. Get another one. <laughs> now I've got five if you'll wait. No, no, <clears throat> no. Here's an interesting little, little thing. Some of you already know that in 2 Samuel 21, verses 18 through 22, it talks about other giants In the exact same town from which Goliath came there were four other giants and there are people who agree scholars that these were the four brothers of Goliath and David took five smooth stones because he was going to face everybody in the family If he had to. This is going to happen. You're going down, big guy. I am going to drop you in your tracks. And your brother, Daryl. And your other brother, Daryl. And the other two Daryls in your family. I'm going to drop all of you. I'm assuming his dad and mom was dead. Otherwise, he'd had seven stones. He would have probably needed Saul's armor for Goliath's mom. But uh, that being said, he knew that one giant slain doesn't mean the end of giants. That's what we have to come to. Just because a giant is slain, it doesn't mean it's the end of giants i want to close by telling you about a movie. And I'm, the reason I'm telling you is because I'm going to come to a quote about the man the movie is about. In 2011, there's a film uh, called We Bought a Zoo. Um, I, think, I think my grandson Bradford has seen that, uh, that movie. I, I believe that he has because I said something to him about it the other day. And he said, it's awesome. So <clears throat> I think he must have seen it. I don't know. It's based on a true story of a British man named Benjamin Mee. In 2006, Mee and his family purchased and moved into a 30-acre zoo. In his book, Mee says that his new neighbors included five Siberian tigers, three African lions, nine wolves, three big brown European bears, four Asian short-clawed otters, two flamingos, a brazilian uh, tapir uh, called ronnie and some large boa constrictors and a tarantula the zoo was dangerously run down did any of you see that uh, we bought a zoo <clears throat> the zoo was dangerously run down and me was faced with a series of challenges including dealing with a rat infestation finding enough money to feed the animals on the fourth day of their new lives the jaguar Escaped and endangered the neighborhood, and despite the difficulties, me and his family restored the zoo into a place of beauty and safety that provided healing for themselves and the surrounding community. But it wasn't easy. Here is what me himself admitted: there were a lot of times when I thought, "What have I done?" So why did he buy? and remodel a zoo. Well, in the film version, me, who was played by Matt Damon, says this, sometimes all you need is 20 seconds of insane courage, just literally 20 seconds of embarrassing bravery, and I promise you, something great will come from it. I don't... come disagree with me. However, our insane courage and our embarrassing bravery must be rooted in our deepened faith. Faith that the Lord who made us who we are will help us to face and slay the giant in our lives. Let's bow our heads for prayer today we're going to go to the Lord in prayer and we're getting toward the end of this series two more messages at some point I want you to make a commitment about your giant at some point I want you to be committed to face your giant and to determine that you know what this giant is not going to go unnoticed I'm going to go ahead and speak my commitment I'm going to stand by my commitment I'm going to face this giant, I'm going to have faith in God, I'm going to have faith in the familiar, and I'm going to step out and I am going to have 20 seconds of insane courage based on my faith in God, and I'm going to commit to slay the giant. You've been listening to the Family Bible Hour, a broadcast ministry of North Florida Baptist Church in Tallahassee, Florida, with your speaker, Dr. Randy Ray. You can visit us at North Florida Baptist Church, 3000 North Meridian Road, Tallahassee, Florida, 32312. Visit us online at nflchurch.com. Dr. Ray invites you to join him next week for the Family Bible Hour.